Donald Trump has got bored of the NFL and is now like trying to basically start a nuclear war with North Korea and or Puerto Rico. Okay, very good. Uh, well, at least he's got his hobbies. So hello and welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views and overreactions to all things NFL. Uh, this week we'll be looking at news from around the league, focusing in on some of the games from last week, taking questions from you, the listener, and then focusing in on the games for week five. So hey guys, we've got Connor here, we've got Harry. Yeah. And we got Ronan. Hello. So lads, what's the crack? How he's getting on? Ah, uh, grand. Nothing nothing particularly new. Very good, very good. What are yourself, Ronan? How's all down in Cork? Uh, you know, I'm very disappointed that my job application with the Washington Mzingus was unsuccessful, but mm. I'm going to work work forward and pick up a better position, I think, around the league uh, coming up this season. But yeah, no, uh, nothing else too wild here. Had the had the folks up for the weekend, obviously doing the whole celebration engagement stuff. So uh, that was fun. Had a nice meal and then proceeded to stay up drinking till like six or seven in the morning with uh, housemates and stuff. So uh, that was fun. Made for a very slow Sunday and me wanting to watch the games, but not really wanting to stay awake. And the games didn't help that all that much. <laughs> so I suppose we'll fly around some of the bits of news. Uh, there's one big piece that we're going to talk about, I suppose, this week because uh, we've got some interesting news. Choo choo, all aboard the hype train. Trubisky is now being dropped in and starting a quarterback for the Bears as of next week uh, it's probably fairly obvious as to why that is the case this is a team that's shown flashes of good performances they've got a solid run game they've got some emerging new rookies in uh, Terry Cohen and people like that and new weapons but they've got a dog shit quarterback who they're paying 16 million to uh, at the moment so they've decided it's time to see what this rookie can do now what we saw in preseason was he showed to have a lot more movement he can bootleg a lot more uh, it should help them a little bit against pass rush he does have an arm the question is obviously whether or not he's ready to play as such uh, so I suppose I'll come to you first on this Harry do you think this is a positive move for the Bears or is this them moving too early because this is a big big game that they're dropping this this young guy into like we said last week I was expecting him to hold off about four or five weeks give him a softer landing yeah and I understand that this is what I said last week is that it was one Glennon was one maybe two bad performances away and this was that one bad performance um, Mm. against the divisional rival I don't know if it's a good or a bad move I think it's a necessary move Mm -hmm. Um, like I said I think the Bears have now seen enough that they've got enough bits to say hey this doesn't need to be a complete write off of the season yeah and at a certain point, you have to be like, right, look, if we keep Glennon in, all we're doing is actively tanking. If we give this guy a go, let's see how he gets on. Mm-hmm. So I think it's probably sooner than they would have liked um, in a perfect situation. They would obviously have loved to have sat him for an entire year or at least until the season was basically done. But as it is, it's like this is something that's necessary. This team has no faith in Glennon. Like Glennon, he had two two interceptions and two fumbles against Green Bay. One of them was just one of the worst mishandlings of a snap I've seen yeah. in my life. It's clear that his confidence isn't there. His connection with the receivers, though slightly better than last week insofar as that he had more than one completion to them, still isn't there. Teams do not respect the pass game at all against Chicago, which means that we're seeing much less production, as we saw against Green Bay, from uh, Cohen and from uh, Howard. Something needs to change, and if only if Trubisky gives him something different with his mobility, with his ability to pass downfield, even if all he does is make teams respect the pass a little bit more, mm-hmm. that's a much, much better place for Chicago's offense. Yeah, no, it is big time. Now, Fitz, what do you reckon? Because I know some people will say this is a season that was pointing in the wrong direction for uh, John Fox and that he will be gone after this. And that might be playing in here that it's easier for a coach to move in and bring in this risky decision to bring in a rookie early if he thinks that this 
might be make or break for whether he has a job the following year. Do you think that's playing into this choice or is this just purely a quality versus quality decision? No, like I think the, the, the context of his job basically being in jeopardy has to influence his decision about who he plays a quarterback. If he's playing a young quarterback who's the future of the franchise, you can take a close loss or two because you're like you're building for the future. And of course, like if you look across to the Texans and you see what difference a mobile quarterback can do with a you know with a mediocre offensive line and what difference that can make to the run game and the passing game, you kind of get the sense that you know this is now is definitely the moment here because I think you know when you have two running backs of the quality that the Bears have in Howard and Cohen, like it makes sense to get an agile quarterback. Who can play? Who can who can do the play action? Who can get out of the pocket? Who can move things around and open things up for those running backs by basically shifting the defensive line around and not letting them just zone in and stack the box. Mm-hmm. So I think it, it's a good fit right now with the offense that they're trying to run, which is you know which is a, which is one centered around running backs and what the quarterback should be doing is when he does throw the ball. He puts the you know he puts the scares the bejesus out of them by throwing it down the field, getting those wide receivers involved in situations where they have one-on-one matchups and get big chunks of yard. I think that suits Trubisky's skill set a lot more. The only question mark over his skill set is whether he can do it uh, from under center. Obviously, there was a lot of off-season talk about the fact that he had never taken any snaps at under center. If he sorted that out, even to a fairly remedial level, I think the quality of I think the quality of the running backs. And his ability to get outside the pocket should mean he has enough ability to kind of open up that offense. If they're forced to go shotgun a lot, it could may it may go more like the Paxton Lynch situation last season. So I think that's the real question mark. If he can play under center enough to kind of like sell it, then I think he could be a really big upgrade. Yeah, no, of course. And like like I said, it's a big spot to be putting him in here now. A home game against a division rival on prime time, and this is. If, if nothing else, Minnesota still does have a quite high-quality defence, so this is going to be an interesting one. We'll see when we hit the games next week where we think this is going to land, but uh, as I said, I don't, think, I don't think everyone here believes this might be the, uh, the optimistic start that they'd be hoping for. Uh, we'll have a look at some movements around the league. It's not a huge amount because we're all settling down at this point. San Francisco have extended cornerback Kawan Williams, three years, 10 million with 5 million guaranteed. Now, the only other one that really happened was uh, Cairo Santos, who we mentioned in the previous podcast, got injured, was placed on IR. He's now been cut by the team and replaced. There's an interesting... Uh, someone mentioned this to me uh, during the week, and it's an interesting idea behind this, of uh, if he's placed on IR, then he can't come back or he can't play for a minimum of eight weeks. Uh, but if he's cut, someone can re-sign him and he can start playing a lot quicker if his rehab would be less than eight weeks. So this gives him an opportunity to catch on somewhere else. No, uh, so that's that's really most of those movements. Uh, this was a bad week for injuries. Minnesota's running back Dalvin Cook has uh, torn his ACL and he's out for a season. So Fitz, this is obviously a big blow to Minnesota. Minnesota, obviously, we know they have issues with a long defensive line. And while the offensive line looks improved with their free agent pickups, they still look like, uh, still like a bottom third offensive line. But in Dalvin Cook, they had the type of running back where if he didn't elevate it beyond them, it certainly was good enough to take advantage of the holes that they did make and make something of them. Like Based on what we've seen so far from Latavius Murray, he's like an early candidate to be the bust of the season, although now he'll get a big chance to do that. So I think for, for Minnesota, it's a huge difference because at the moment, obviously with all the quarterback shifting back and forth over Sam Bradford's knee, it's really 
important that they were able to establish a run game to give them any chance. And while their form over the last couple of weeks has been mysterious, if the one thing that has been constant is that Dalvin Cook has looked good. Another team who had a bit of a setback in the running back position, Seattle. Chris Carson has got a knee fracture and a high ankle sprain. He's likely done for the season. And then to compound things, they've lost some of their O-line as well. Odeyambo has a heart condition, so he's gone for probably about a month or so. This is very important because obviously Chris Carson was starting to look very good. He's been taking a lot of the carries there. Was, uh, I think, a a fantasy waiver-wire darling there uh, for people who are in desperate need of running backs. But uh, I suppose they do have... a kind of a stable of ones to kind of mix around they've got other players returning from injury so we'll have to see how that shakes out uh, I think a bunch of the carries in this game then went to Eddie Lacy which was a weird decision in, in, in my eyes but uh, I suppose I'll, just because it's your team fits I'll just say like who do you think steps into this Chris Carson shaped hole other than obviously like defenders for the other team <laughs> well the defenders are already there to be fair <laughs> uh, yeah, like Chris Carson had looked really good and he looked like the like similar to Dalvin Cook, he looked like a running back who could overcome, not completely, but certainly looked like he could overcome some of the issues with bad offensive line play. For example, there was a, a play early on against Indianapolis where a defender literally bounced off him. That doesn't really happen to Eddie Lacy. He more absorbs them and then collapses to the ground. But yeah, like I think Eddie Lacy's probably the favourite right now because Thomas Rawls was a healthy scratch in the game in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. But like in terms of explosive potential... I would imagine Thomas Rawls will be given another opportunity to prove that he is back from his injury woes. With Chris Carson injured, if they do decide he's gone for the season, it frees up a spot for the GOAT to come back home. Uh, we'll finally have Christine Michael back where he should be, running Jeez. the ball for Seattle. Um, we've got Arizona suffered a couple of injuries as well. Uh, Marcus Golden, our outside linebacker, has torn his ACL and he's gone for a season. And in a spot where they definitely couldn't really afford to lose anyone and we're going to discuss this later on Mikey Paddy has gone to IR probably gone for the season as well this is a big blow to Arizona isn't it? Like well, how much as, worse as, can they get? Yeah, how much as, worse as, can as they big get? a blow like, as a team who's in that kind of nick can just, just, just blow it up give up, give up on the season like I, I, Arizona really are a team that have they're a bad team we know they're a bad team we'll discuss this more later um, obviously these are these are blows to the mm-hmm. team um, the blows to areas they've been struggling in but then again anyone getting injured like once David Johnson went down the season was over yeah, well, and it didn't necessarily have to be but we found out very very quickly that that wasn't even in that one game David Johnson looked terrible yeah. um, the whole team had looked, look, has looked bad so it's obviously it's a shame to lose these guys and you know, you know wish them a speedy recovery and all the best but to be honest like having a season where you're not involved in this shit show is not maybe the worst thing for his yeah. long term career. If you're gonna if you're gonna miss a season, it might as well be this one. Yeah, that's true. Uh, New Orleans lost their fullback John Coon. He tore his bicep, which I always hate as an idea. This just feels so physically painful to say and think of torn bicep. He's gone for the season. Uh, Buffalo lost wide receiver Jordan Matthews for a month. He had surgery on his thumb after an injury there, and then we had two kind of large uh, large uh, injuries. To discuss, uh, Marcus Mariota, quarterback for the Tennessee Titans, has injured his hamstring. This was obviously happened during the horrendous fourteen fifty seven loss to the to the Texans. But um, but obviously this is a, this is a huge blow if this is anything more than just a one game injury, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Mariota looked ropey, very very ropey during that game, but he was still able to make things happen with his legs. Mm. And then Matt Castle came on. And obviously, Matt Castle was a lot worse. This is a very promising team that is in serious trouble if it has to turn up Matt Castle. And the other one was uh, quarterback Derek Carr for the Oakland Raiders had back spasms and uh, 
missed most of that game for them. Uh, did, could you hear Tony Romo in the, in, the, in the booth though? Oh, when he was, I, I heard it afterwards. Like fucking see him PTSD, describing, basically, from yeah, the like, back injury. Well, because he'd had so many of those yeah. himself, and just, it just seemed like he was reliving it in the in the announcer's booth, which is just horrible. Poor guy. But yeah, so obviously speedy recovery to Derek Carr. Next up, our favourite part of this and every crime and punishment. What are they going to do? Probably felonies. It's not felonies this time. Well, it, should, it probably should be. It probably should be. In any other context. <laughs> yeah. If, if, it, if, it didn't, if it didn't happen in an American football game, this would be in the courts. Danny Gervais, linebacker for Chicago, has been suspended for two games after an incredibly brutal-looking hit on Devontae Adams. Uh, he had already been tackled and held up, and Danny Gervais came charging in from the side, went helmet-to-helmet with his head down directly into Devontae Adams, who dropped to the ground and was removed in an ambulance uh, he's got full movement in the rest of his body it doesn't seem like anything too bad on like the whole paralysed side thing is happening but it was a filthy hit it was um, and it was weird to see obviously as usual people defending it saying oh you know he couldn't whatever whatever it doesn't matter like yeah sure Dan Trevathan probably didn't intend to hitting him on the head that's fine if you go with your head down leading with your helmet you're not going to be able to see what you're doing you're not going to be able to see where you're tackling and you are leading with the hardest thing you can lead with. Not only is it incredibly reckless and uh, it's a really good thing Devontae Adams is okay because that could have been a lot, a lot yeah. nastier. It's also a relief that Dan Trevathan is okay because yeah. he could have absolutely crippled himself. Yeah, that's, that's the first thing like you that. teach like five-year-olds who are playing football. Just terrible technique. I think a tackle born out of just frustration mm-hmm. with the way his team are playing, it's not good enough. And I, I'm glad he's been suspended. Like, and you know, two games is fine. Trevathan doesn't really have a history as a dirty player. Mm-hmm. It's, if it's a one-off thing, that's fine. And hopefully he learns his lesson from this. But it's just a reminder of how, like, what we're actually looking at. Like, these are incredible athletes who are just so physically capable. Like, the damage they can do mm-hmm. is, 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 is significant. Um, so it's just a reminder of the level of skill involved and the level of mental and physical control that we need to see and that players need to remember to oh. execute but like, but this is the to thing, like, not do things like but this. But this is, this is why I don't buy the, like, maybe he didn't know he was doing it right? So he went down with his head down, but, like, it wasn't, it, wasn't that, like, it wasn't that he was down, he was hitting low or anything. Like, he laid his head in a standing position. Yeah. There's nothing that that's doing. He's either entirely missing the player he's trying to tackle or he's... Targeting helmet to helmet contact on that. Best best case scenario, best case scenario argument you can make is he wanted to hit Devontae Adams in the chest. In other news, I suppose the uh, the protests have continued around the league. More players needing, more players linking hands. There's a lot less coverage this week round. I think maybe because uh, there was so many tweets from the president. Uh, I'm not sure if that's that you know like the small child he is. He's just lost interest and forgotten it's a thing that's happening, or he realised. Do you know what? Maybe it's a bad idea to take on all these incredibly wealthy millionaire owners who are, you know, old white guys who gave money to my campaigns. Maybe they're not the ones I should be trying to pick fights with. Oh, and in a follow-up to very unusual Odell Beckham Jr., uh, I'm going to pee on the end zone, and then the second one I'm going to make a, uh, a social statement. Yeah, so he's, he's since came out and tried to retroactively justify it. Uh, so a lot of people were discussing this stupid thing of he came out pretending to be a dog and pissed on the end zone and then the second time around held up the black power fist and uh, and made his social statement when he scored his second touchdown. Uh, someone in all the all the discussion online was like, well, maybe he was making a statement about how they're all called sons of bitches, so he's being a dog. And then it was literally like, this is about three days later, <laughs> and Odell good. Beckham just goes, yeah, yeah, that thing, that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this guy, just, just figured it out. But yeah, so that's currently his justification uh, and he's not saying anything more about it. But uh, yeah, none of that this week, but I suppose he didn't score. We will be discussing that shortly. Um, so I suppose with that, we'll move on to looking at some of the games from last week. 
Okay, so we're going to look at three games again this week. Uh, up in the Ring of Honor, we have the Los Angeles Rams at the Dallas Cowboys, 35-30. to Todd Gurley had 215 yards from scrimmage, and Greg the Leg scored seven field goals to bring the LA Rams to 3-1 and on the season. Goff looked good, 21-36 to for 355 yards and two touchdowns. They came in hot in the second half and just shut down Dallas entirely. This was very much a game of two halves. Uh, Des Bryant had an okay day, 98 yards. Prescott had three touchdowns. But in the second half, right, this, is, this is how each one of their drives in the second half went. Punt, 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 interception, touchdown, turnover on downs. They came out in the second half and were just completely unable to adjust to the scheme changes and the, and the, and, and the game plan changes that uh, the Rams had obviously instilled in that locker room. So Harry, I'll come to you first. The LA Rams are now top of their division. They play Seattle next week in LA. The, like, there's a real chance to put down a mark in the division and stamp their position there as being we are the front runners here. We are the team to beat. I did not think I'd be saying this after four weeks of the NFL this year. Are these Rams the real deal? They have outscored everyone in their division by a country mile. Well, consider who's in their division for a second. Like, I don't know if that's not significant, but. Uh... Yeah, everyone ready for the uh, Rams versus Bills Super Bowl this year? It's mm. gonna be it's gonna be hype. I don't know. Still, if we've seen necessarily the identity of the Rams, maybe the second half of this game was that moment, and we'll, we'll find out over the next week or two if that is what this Rams team can be. But it seems like the pieces are falling into place. We saw them able to adapt and adjust against one of the better teams in the league mm-hmm. and absolutely as you said quite rightly shut them down make the adjustments to keep the quarterback under pressure to take Des Bryant out of the game to make Dallas play to their weakness mm-hmm. rather than their strength it's a really impressive job from Wade Phillips first and foremost secondly we're still continuing to see the evolution of Jared Goff yes there were still problems they still sucked on third down they still couldn't finish drives but it was decent and it was enough and it was clean and he didn't make any turnovers he didn't make any mistakes he played for the second or third week in a row, solid football. And that's the kind of development that they want to be seeing from, mm-hmm. from Goff. If he can continue to do that, and they can continue to keep him you know, relatively clean, this team can absolutely win this division. I did not think I would have been saying this, God, like even two weeks ago. Yeah. But we're, we're seeing a team that seems to be finding its feet more and more um, each week. Todd Gurley has come into his own. Did they suddenly, it's like they turned around and were like, oh yeah, what if he passed the ball to Todd Gurley? Can he do that? Can he do the catch? Has he got <laughs> holy shit, he's really good at that. And like again, so they're finding ways to actually play their player's strengths. Even like Tavon Austin, right, who is a bust and continues to be a bust on his own terms. Their ability to now use him as a distraction piece for motion and so on has opening up a huge number of opportunities for Gurley and mm-hmm. for receivers downfield. This team is figuring out something is clicking in LA. And it's... I don't know if it's going to be enough. It depends. What, do Seattle start putting it together, for example? Because that's re- like really, it's not going to be the Niners and it's not going to be the Cardinals who are going yeah. to beat this team. And I think we're going to this this game, like I said, this this upcoming game is is absolutely critical. Yeah. And I think what we're seeing from LA right now, if they can continue this trajectory, yeah, they can win this division. They can go to the playoffs, and that will be one hell of an achievement. This is a team with a young running back, a young um, head coach, a young quarterback. There, there might actually be something happening here, and it's actually really exciting. And I wouldn't yeah. think I would have said that. No, it's, it's, it's got a lot of potential. So hopefully now we'll see. Like I said, I think, I think uh, we've all got an eye on that game for next week. Fitz, when we look at this Dallas team, though, like 
They were missing Sean Lee, which obviously hurt them defensively. But the team that we saw in the first half come out and put a beating down on the on the Rams looked very different in the second half. Is this a deficiency on this team? Do they not have the 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 stamina for it? Do they not have the the the, the athleticism for it? Or was this just a once-off coaching error? Do you think this is something that can be exploited by other teams, or this was just a mistake that they won't make again? Like for me, it's. Genuinely, a situation where I think the Dallas Cowboys—they have more big names, they have more name, like they have more people that you can list off off the top of your head. But it kind of felt like in this game that once the Rams sorted their their stuff out, that the Dallas the Dallas Cowboys just don't have as much talent as a team like the Rams, which has been stocking up those like supremely talented players over the years, and that that really showed in the second half. You saw all the weaknesses that we know exist on this Dallas Cowboy team. And I think like the one player who is improved is Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott continues to evolve into like one of the best, uh, one of the better quarterbacks in the league. And I don't think any of this is on him as a quarterback. But I think when you look outside, when you look at the wide receivers he's playing with, like Des Bryant had one good reception like with the first throw, and other than that, really didn't do that much. And he's supposed to be their like he's supposed to be their wide receiver one, and he's really not getting the kind of production that would lead you to believe that he can do that. And there's obviously a lot of speculation about the like the deterioration in his game. Like you you look at the other like Terrence Williams and Bryce Butler, like they're fine but they're not exactly going to like open like keep the world on fire so like obviously that all once again makes like you, you're kind of relying on you know recapturing that magic of putting Ziggy, El- Ziggy Elliott back in that backfield and that he can like run you know 100 yards a game and you know due to his own circumstances and the fact that that offensive line while still looks good doesn't quite look like the overwhelming monster it was last year like with the losses that they had in the offseason it's not quite going the way that they need. So they're relying more on Dak Prescott, which ironically is showing what a quality quarterback he is, but it also means that their game doesn't have that same, that has that same overwhelming quality to it overall. And on the defense, like we continue to see that the amount of attrition that we're seeing, particularly in the backfield and obviously in the linebacking core as well, continues to show that that defense, while it can have moments, and obviously uh, Marinelli do, 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 good, do a good job with what really is scraps, it's still not a good defense. It's still a mediocre defense on its day and can be exploited. And we saw in the second half that you know a talented offensive, uh, a talented offensive coach like McVay was able to figure it out, was able to hit those weaknesses, was able to get Todd Gurley involved in the game and then allow Jared Goff to take a pressure on Jared Goff and let him get go. And then the defense tightened up on them. So I think like Dallas are still a good team, but they're definitely not the dominant team that we have. And I think the weaknesses that we've kind of seen and kind of expected last year are kind of manifesting now so I just kind of think that Dallas Cowboys they're a good team but they're a team with definitive flaws and I don't think the strengths are quite as strong this year to Mm -hmm. cope like to crack over the crack over those holes yeah no it's good like I said I'm also I'm noticing we're seeing like not nowhere near the same level of offensive line play coming out of the Dallas Cowboys as well which I think Mm -hmm. is very interesting because that's is having a very big impact on how uh, how their quarterback plays behind that line and the kind of decisions he can make. So I think he's finally figuring out what it's like for the average quarterback in the league rather than just having proper brick walls in front of you. Uh, next up in the neutral zone, we have Tampa Bay at the New York Giants. 23-25, uh, to 25, famous Jameis threw for 332 yards and three touchdowns to lead his team uh, to a win- over the winless Giants. Uh, took a last... Even at that, it took a last-ditch field goal from from Folk to do it, having already missed two field goals and extra point that day. I don't think anyone was uh, was was overly happy with uh, being being 
holding breath for that, including Harry, if I remember correctly, from your, your messages into our, our watching group on <laughs> Facebook. Just, fuck you, fuck you, bastard, you're costing me my fans. Oh, wait, hold on, actually, he's great, he scored that final field Yeah, goal. never stream kickers, it just, it just doesn't work. Uh, in, in, in groundbreaking news, Eli Manning scored New York's first rushing touchdown of the year. He now leads them in rushing touchdowns, and he, uh, he threw for two more, but it wasn't enough for them to be able to walk away from this. Winners, uh, Odell Beckham had a pretty decent game, seven catches for 90 yards, but no pissing in the end zone. So, Ronan, like, th- this is a really weird game to watch because, like, Tampa Bay came out quick and then just kind of disappeared for a while and then came back again. Like, it was at times a messy game, not so much with penalties, but just, like, mistakes and sloppy plays and sloppy... Like, just do your fucking job sometimes, lads. New York's line held up a lot better than I was expecting. Eli got three touchdowns, had no interceptions, no sacks. Like, surely that type of performance... Because that's their weakest part. That's the type of performance that should set up a game that they win, right? Yeah, I think this is the kind of game that they definitely needed to win. I think you're, you're, you're four losses now. You're kind of staring into the abyss. And while, as I said, the NFC East isn't exactly like overwhelming teams, there are enough good teams there that like this is a pretty big hole to get back out of. Like I think you know, on the offense, they did look better, but it's still a situation that... They're still so reliant on like Eli Manning hitting a slant route to Odell Beckham and him running like getting all those yards after the catch. But and they're starting to like and they're trying to move away from that. So like largely due to necessity, as Odell Beckham continues to deal with his injury woes. Uh, and you know it's and they're getting the other pieces involved. They're getting Ingram involved. They're getting Shepard involved. And they're even getting Brandon Marshall involved in kind of more short yardage kind of possession plays. It, it's kind of coming together because comparing their offense in week one to their offense now. It, it, it's gone from like absolute terrible to like NFL average. <laughs> so that's progress. And like the offensive line looks like it's starting to come together in some degree. And I think like in this, I think the big development for them in this one was that they actually got somewhat of a running game going towards the end of the game or when they started getting back into the game, particularly uh, like in that third quarter. And I think with Wayne Galman, they may have an opportunity there to actually have a featured back who can do some things, because Paul Perkins has been absolutely trash, uh, Shane Vereen, like, stop, stop trying to make Shane Vereen happen, so, like, you know, in Goldman, you have a potential uh, running back, though we, we have heard this story before, uh, who they can put the ball behind and try to take some pressure off Eli, because, like, even though the offensive line was improved, it was very obvious that Eli Manning was still under pressure a lot of this, and was basically playing to a certain extent scared he was playing a lot more conservative than we expect Eli Manning to do um like you're talking yeah we're, we're talking about like 280 yards and 30 attempts or sorry 49 attempts 30 completions so I, I think it's a very different New York Giants offense we're seeing and um, without Odell Beckham it really does still lack a bit of a spark so it'll be interesting to see whether he can transition to a more balanced offense mm-hmm. uh, and on the defensive side I'm really I'm not sure quite what happened in that first quarter they just like you know an absolute bust on the OJ Howard yeah uh, just just down. for who needs to cover the tight end yeah uh, well like like I suppose everyone might have forgotten the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did draft OJ Howard in the first round uh, <laughs> he is no Cameron Braid after all um, and yeah I think you know like they need their defense to step up they put them in a big hole the, the offense showed some actual sparks that's good but there's no denying the fact that this season looks like it's really difficult 
uh, going forward for them. I was, I was just thinking there as well, just as you were talking, kind of going, if I was to say in week four, we'll have one of the New York teams will be 0-4 and the other will be 2-2 two and two and second place in their division. <laughs> I'm going to come to you, Harry, look at this Tampa Bay team, because obviously it's, it's a good one for them to get, even though it was sloppy and probably shouldn't have taken that long. This is a defense that was playing without Levante David, Quan Alexander, or TJ Ward. Like that level of injury is not where you want to be, and I think they had their other safety leave this game injured as well. Especially with New England coming in to them on a short week on Thursday night football. Like, do you think this is a team that now knows what it is, has an identity, or is it still this kind of question mark as to like, is this going to be a high performing offense? Is this going to be an okay defense? Is this going to be a boom bust? Is it going to be a slow drive? And will the addition of um, Musselhampton and everything coming back change that? That's what I was going to say. Uh, I think we'll find out when Doug Martin comes back. Well, because Rodgers, again, had a, had a good game, 100 all-purpose yards. Yeah. But you feel like they're still not comfortable building a game around Rodgers, and they might be more comfortable building that game around Martin. But we mm-hmm. also have no idea what the hell Doug Martin is going to look like, or if he'll even be in playing shape coming onto a short week off of suspension. Yeah. I think we know what Tampa Bay want to do. I think we know what they want to be. They do still want to be that big play offense. They do still... Well, I mean, it doesn't matter if they want to be or not. James Winston's going to fucking chuck it deep. Yeah. Whether you want him to or not, he's going to do it. And they've got a huge receiver and they've got they a speedy do. receiver. They so. do. They've got, they've got obviously, uh, the speed threat in Jackson. They've got Evans with this height. And then they've got, um, well, Cameron Brake, who we know is a top-tier pass-catching tight end. And O.J. Howard, who's apparently, as Tizzle quite rightly pointed out, apparently invisible to defenders, which yeah. is pretty handy to have. <laughs> it, is, it is a pretty sweet superpower. <laughs> it is, it is game, though, so. <laughs> yeah. So, like, it, it, there's, a, there's a lot of different things there, but we also know that this is what the, what they are. Is they're a defense that has a lot of pressure in the front seven, and the loss of the linebackers were huge. I, I don't need to rehash all of the stats that you guys have put out about like the lack of pressure and, and so on, and got allowing a, a Giants running back to almost reach four yards a carry, which is unheard of wow. for a long time. <laughs> Until all those pieces are back, we're not going to see this team be what it wants to be because ultimately, what it's missing are some of the most important pieces of identity. Yes, because Rogers is good, but no, does he? Does he, he doesn't take pressure off in the same way that Doug Martin did in his prime off the quarterback and open up more um, throwing lanes as teams respect the run more. Mm-hmm. They've got some like nice young players who are filling in at linebacker. They're not Levante David. They're not Quan Alexander. TJ Ward, a recent pickup, but he, like in terms of a physical safety presence, mm-hmm. he improved the team in a way that like the likes of Chris Conte, who has had, in fairness to him, you see one of the worst players in the league in Chicago has had a career revival in... Uh, Tampa Bay, but he doesn't do that. He doesn't do what yeah. TJ Ward showed he could bring. So until we see them with all these pieces back, I don't think we are going to see Tampa Bay. And unfortunately, for all the talent, this is still a team that is in a lot of ways quite raw, relying on quite a lot of young, uh, explosive guys. And when bits start missing, they start misfiring. And that's what we saw again today. And um, we've seen it a couple of times this season, like well, again uh, last week when Gerald McCoy got injured, the, the D line just sort of without its anchor point, without its experience, captain kind of just sort of was all mm. over the place. Um, and I think we saw a bit of that today. They made this game way, way harder than they needed to be. They could have won this comfortably. They kept messing up on third down. Mm. They made weird play, there were weird play calls, there were weird decisions made by both teams, and a better team would have beaten Tampa. But once they have those pieces back, particularly on defense, I think we're going to see a team that's more effective against the run. We're going to see a team that's able to put pressure on the quarterback, and then we're actually going to find out how good the Bucks are. But until they get over those injury woes, and like if that if that comes too late, because we've already seen Alexander come back and then leave again, yeah, it might be too late, and it might be another season where they're just not good enough to keep up with the best teams in their division. Yeah. Although then again, the other teams' in the division look pretty bad, so that's true. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> and then on to the uh, the dumpster fire. As uh, so this week we're looking at San Francisco at Arizona. Uh, 15 to 18 in overtime 
this was a game of sorts. Castle Palmer hit Larry Fitz on a 19-yard touchdown uh, in overtime for the only touchdown in the game to win with 32 seconds left. Uh, he had 33 of 51 for 357 yards, a touchdown and an interception. He six sacks, 16 quarterback hits, nothing happening on the ground from them at all. Like Jerome Brown and Andre Ellington were effective on the offense, but they were essentially the offense for them. Uh, Hoyer was sub-50% completions, uh, 24 49 for 234 yards and an interception. Hyde looked decent, but overall, this was a very anemic looking offense from the 49ers. But if you're a 49ers fan, you have to look at this game and be quite happy with your defense. Like I said, six sacks, 16 quarterback hits, 11 tackles for a loss, and an interception. Like, this team knows that it's a in transition, it's not a solution, it's not a finalized situation here. But seeing these young pieces can make them feel good. They can see these young defensive players who they can build around later on. Now, I know that this wasn't a very good Arizona team that they're hammering. It's also a very messy game. 23 penalties for nearly 200 yards in this game. Uh, so, Harry, I'll come to you first on this. This is definitely two more wins than I'd give this cre- this roster credit for, for Arizona. But, like, letting Carson Palmer get hit 22 times. So, on 45% of his passes, he was hit. Like... They said this is the final season for these guys, him coming back, Larry coming back and that. Like, this isn't going to be a last season. This will be a last five or six games unless they sort out this O-line, right? Yeah. Um, and they're losing one of their linemen now. They are. Yeah, Paddy's gone. Well, we, we know Bruce Aaron's a hard-ass, so maybe he's just going to let Carson Palmer down on the field or something. Mm. And I, I find that in the podcast. Like, this team is just bad. Yeah. Like, congratulations. Like, they, this is the second time you've had to sit through fucking overtime. Um, watch this team flail its way to a victory against one of the most, like just a marginally more inept team. Mm. There's nothing. There's nothing going on here. This is this is a lost season. We've been slowly watching Arizona decline and Bruce Arians basically lose it more and more and more. And here it is. The team has got to a point where they were too stubborn to change. Where they, from the top to the bottom, despite winning two games, like have been unwilling to actually fix the things that are the problems. Mm-hmm. Like their solution is retreads, old guys, more retread. Like bring back Chris Johnson. Let's have another piece with Carson Palmer with absolutely nobody backing him up in case it goes wrong. Let's try Larry Fitzgerald and then one of our young receivers will go off for 100 yards and then never be heard of again for the rest of the season because that's how it works in the Arizona fucking Cardinals. I don't know. It, it just feels like this team is just sort of... It's what the Cardinals were before they had those, sort of those brief... Like, they've had those brief stints, obviously, with, mm-hmm. when they went to the Super Bowl and then, obviously, when Carson Palmer started playing well. Yeah, but and in between, they were just a nothing team churning their wheels, beating bad teams and losing to anyone who was able to put up a fight. And that's exactly what... They've come full circle back to what they were before they, Palmer had his sort of second, uh, second wind with this club. Mm-hmm. And I don't know where they go. I don't know what happens from here. It's like they might limp to a 6-7 win season if they're lucky. But yeah. what happens? This, this this team has no direction right now. I'm not gonna, like, I've got I've, I've got a running plan at the moment. Of regardless of how bad the rest of their games are, I'm going to try and avoid having them even in the dumpster fire because I'm sick of fucking watching yep. them and I'm sick of fucking talking about them. This team is dog shit. And yeah, fits this because this is the thing. So 0-4 now for the San Francisco 49ers. Not a great result or not a great collection of results so far. But like I said, like. They're on the opposite end of the spectrum. They're not a particularly good team, didn't play fantastically, but they've got a core of young players who are stepping up on defense, and they were in this game to the very end, even though, let's be honest, like I don't think any of us are really looking at there being many games where these where we expect to see the 49ers in it till the very end. And like surely this is a fairly positive-looking outcome for them of, this is a lost season regardless. They've found new things to replace their team with. They are the opposite end to what this Arizona team are. 
Yeah, like I would definitely agree. Like if you're a 49ers fan or you're a 49ers coach, there are definitely positives, particularly on that defense. Like despite the fact that they've already lost a few pieces uh, in Ruben Foster and Eric Reed uh, in the linebackers and safety core, they're still putting together decent results on the defense. Obviously, that defensive front with all of those first-round talents, all of those, uh, and like with a few savvy veterans, like Elvis Duberville mixed in, is getting the job done and absolutely made mincemeat of Carson Palmer. But there's also a, a certain thing that, you know, we've seen these kind of seasons before where teams are like, oh, you know, they lost a few games, but at least they're, you know, at least they're showing hope. But at some point, they need to start converting some of that, you know, hope or, or some of that potential into a couple of wins. Because, you know, if this starts becoming like a like an 0-6 0 and 7, 0 and 8. Suddenly, you know, you have these young players, you have these players you're trying to like psych up that you know they're the future of this team. When they start getting into that situation, you're you're like it's hard to not imagine that the shoulders might drop, that the whole team might start to like regress to how the offense is, and that's that's what, what worries me. Like you know, it's great and all to be promising and stuff, but like you know, as the Cleveland Browns can attest, it doesn't matter how promising you are until you can start putting wins and start getting mm-hmm. those kind of jolts of energy that comes with that so like i think the offense right now is sucking the life out of the team it's not just that the offense is bad it's bad in a really like it's bad in a really disconcerting fashion like brian brian hoyer i kind of feel like brian hoyer is like undergoing that kind of match show transformation where he's gone from being like a, a serviceable like bridge quarterback or backup where he's actually looking like you know a genuinely terrible quarterback like where you would rather have like pretty much like any other quarterback in there he's really looking like he's regressed did you um, really... did you see the fabulous pass that he threw to his coach by mistake yeah. <laughs> it was phenomenal he threw wildly at a player was about eight yards behind where the player was and threw it directly at the coach who caught the ball and then just looked at the ground and shook his head. It was phenomenal. It's like, it is their season on offense summed up in a gif. So like the only thing they have going is Carlos Hyde. Perhaps they should just go the Jacksonville route and just give it to Carlos Hyde again and again and again. Uh, But like with Brian Hoyer under center, it just just looks really dire. They're going to get involved in lots more of these like close games due to that defense. But if they keep losing in this fashion, it's going to bring down the players, it's going to bring down the coaches, it's going to bring down the fans. And whatever hope there might be there, it'll get extinguished quite quickly. And then, you know, you then have to do next season the job of trying to pick that up all over again. No, of course, of course. Uh, And on that cheery note, let's go and take some questions from a listener. Okay, so this one comes in from Emmett Ryan. He says, there's a lot of teams sitting out there now on 3-1, and one, a lot of ones that we wouldn't expect to see there. Who do we think are the least trustworthy 3-1 and one teams? So the 3-1 and one teams at the moment are Bills, Steelers, Broncos, Eagles, Lions, Green Bay, Panthers, Falcons, Rams, Tampa Bay-ish, because they've only played three, so they're 2-1, and one, aren't they? I don't know about you two, but like for me personally, it would probably be uh, the Buffalo Bills. It's probably Damn the it obvious this. answer <laughs> from like from this list, and it's the fact that like the Buffalo Bills, like unlike Carolina, who finally seemed to show some offensive uh, firepower in the last week, albeit against a New England defense that doesn't seem to be able to stop people. The thing about that Buffalo team right now is that they're winning every game in the most grinding fashion possible. So the defense has really stepped up. Sean McDermott's come in and done a really good job getting those talented pieces 
together and creating a real monster there. But the offense right now just looks bereft of any inspiration. Like we see Jordan Matthews has now gone for a month. That leaves like Zay Jones on the outside and he really hasn't done anything so far. So it's 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 kind of like almost like the team it was last season, uh, except more extreme, that the defense is actually as good as we expected to be, uh, perhaps expected to be last season, uh, except for Rex Ryan, you know, because Rex Ryan and Rob Ryan uh, is actually good now, but that the offense is even more one-dimensional than it already was with that reliance on the run game, with Tyrod Taylor relying on his feet. So for me personally, like that formula can get you so far, but I don't think it gets you as far as being a genuine contender uh, in the AFC. Uh, so for me personally, they are probably the team I expect to fall back to earth sooner rather than later. Fair enough. What about yourself, Harry? It's fucking bizarre actually Fitz says it because uh, uh, the run game hasn't even been that good in Buffalo. I don't understand how they're winning games. It's yeah, bizarre. It's re- I, I'm I mean, not sure, but they are. It's then again, weird. everything everything we just said could possibly have been said about the 2015 Denver Broncos. So it's true. Christ. Um, I'm going to an interesting one here. I'm going to say the Atlanta Falcons. Hmm. I have not liked what I've seen so far from the Falcons, and we know they're worse than the Bills now, apparently. Hmm. But this is a team that has, like, struggled. Let's be honest. They should not have beaten the Bears. They should not have beaten the Lions. And now they've come unstuck against the Buffalo Bills. Like, this team is entirely dependent on Julio Jones. Now he's gone. Now they have a bye week, so he might be back. But when Jones and Sanu went down against the Bills, the team completely lost its way. They failed to convert a game-winning fourth and one when Buffalo were so incompetent they hadn't managed to get 11 players on the field. Yeah. And Atlanta still couldn't do it. Again, in that game, in that drive, what did they do? This, this, like, they've learned, this team has learned nothing. They were repeated. They tried to pass it on third and short and then on fourth and short. Short. Like, this team ha- d- doesn't seem to know what its strengths are still, despite the fact this was a Super Bowl team last year. Mm-hmm. It seems to have regressed in terms of figuring out the play calling. The, the balance between uh, Freeman and Coleman seems to be just all over the place at the moment. They Ryan seems out of sync with his receivers. And barring that one huge game uh, at the start of the season, we haven't really seen that much from the tight end. Like... And, and, and the defense doesn't look as good either. Like, it's just a team that's kind of floundering right now. And they're fortunate in that they have a relatively soft run, which I think is going to make them look better than they are in, with games against the likes of the Jets and the Dolphins and so on. But when they get into the harder part of the schedule, when they start playing the in-division games, when they've got to go up against Seattle, who for all their flaws have, still have a very good defense, Dallas, who are still a good team, although they're struggling, even New England, these are games where I think we're going to see the shortcomings of this team ruthlessly exposed. And if a team, like if the Panthers can find some consistency and continue to play on offense the way that we saw them play this week, the Falcons aren't going to win their division because I have not seen anything from the Falcons that indicates that this has been anything more than a team that is extremely lucky to have a 3-1 record that should have a 1-3 record if we're honest with you and three of those losses should have been against teams that are not that good like I've been there's, there's a few of these that kind of jump out of me like there's there's only a few that I kind of actually would trust but I'm trying to think like what's the least like so I'm with you on the Bills I'm with you to an extent in the Falcons I think the Falcons are one where like, they, they always strike as a team who might be able to figure it out mm. later on or something. Whereas some of these other ones, they feel more like upstarts who will fall back. I, and I've said this before, do not in any way trust the Lions. I just don't get it. I just don't see what you guys see about the Lions. I like, they've got an okay quarterback who's a little bit more consistent now, but they still, like, can just disappear for quarters at a time. They don't have the go-to guy on offense. They don't have the go-to guys on defense. They have a a good middle-of-the-pack eight- to nine-win team, maybe. And I could see that swinging back the way down to six or seven wins as well. Like, 
it's that thing of I don't see how these guys are winning 75% of their games this doesn't track out that they could be winning 12 games at the end of the season I just can't see it happening and similarly like there's ones where I there's ones where I see inconsistencies in whether or not it's sustainable so the Lions are one where that's not a concern because I think they can mix it up but then you see the Broncos who are doing an excellent job on defense but have a very simplistic offense line and it's just to see whether or not that can be figured out or not as, as, as time progresses. When they start hitting much more explosive offences, will they be able to shut them down as well? They've been able to stop run game very effectively. But is this, like their defence from two years ago, going to be able to keep that up for 16, 18 games? I don't know. Like There are three teams maybe that I trust in this group. I trust Green Bay to stay there. I think the Eagles are going to win their division. Yep. Uh, and I really like the Panthers at the moment. I've even got question marks over the Steelers because we've seen them put in shit performances and good performances. So I don't really trust any of these early things, to be honest. I will say one thing for the Lions is that they have a very nice divisional... Like uh, The divisions they're playing are actually very nice. I don't see yeah. how the Lions only get six wins. They've got to play the NFC South, who are all on that list of inconsistent yeah. teams, and the AFC North, who are either bad or on that list of inconsistent mm. teams. But the problem is, this list of inconsistent teams are, they've all won three games. They have, I know, right? <laughs> so at, at some point, they're going to have to like knock some off each other, but also still going to have to win some against each other. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see. Uh, like, you're, you're, you're very right, Emmett. There's, uh, there's a lot of inconsistency and a lot of not so much trust sitting out on this group. So mm. we'll see how it shakes out. Uh, I'd say in the next week or two, we'll probably do our let's, uh, little kind of like way too early state of, the, state of the season and where we think everything sits. But uh, thanks very much for the question. Good shout. Uh, and I suppose we'll shift on and have a look at our previews for next week's games. Okay, so we'll try and fly through these. Uh, we're in agreement a lot of them this week. I'm the one who's out my own on four mm. separate games this time around, so this will be fun. Uh, first up, New England at Tampa Bay. We've taken New England. Why is that, Harry? For all the problems New England have, we still see Tampa Bay are missing a lot of key pieces. We don't know what the situation is going to be with Doug Martin coming back. And if New England are gonna, well, New England are gonna have to boat race teams. This is a defense that can be boat raced, and mm. Brady, greater than sign, wins them. This will be an interesting one to see how that, because that is a that is a big boom kind of style offense that Tampa Bay play, and this is a Patriots defense that will allow that to this, happen. This is the worst defense in the league. Yeah, so this is going to be a real exciting Thursday night game. <laughs> uh, San Francisco at Indianapolis. Uh, I'm out my own on this one. Fitz and Harry have taken Indy, and I'm taking the 49ers. <laughs> Oh, God. I'm immediately regretting this decision, but go for it. Fitz, give us a quick why on Indy. Yeah, I think, like, Indianapolis, they, they they kind of suck, but I think we're all kind of seeing Jacoby Brisket, uh, or Brissette, whatever you prefer. Um, Jake Brisket. He's showing some signs of being a decent quarterback. I don't know if he'll ever be a starter, but he'll probably hang around the league for a long time uh, as, as, a, as a good backup. Uh, and I think, like, Indianapolis looked like a team that's actually playing hard still. Uh, whereas that San Francisco offense is just so inept that I think the improved Indianapolis defense, relatively speaking, uh, should be enough to kind of bottle them up. But again, this will probably be low scoring, probably will go over to overtime, and will probably be in the dumpster fire. But, you know, yeah. such as. <laughs> like, my, my take on this is I think both teams are a bit crap. San Francisco have shown me a good bit on uh, defense. 
that I think they're going to be able to cause a lot of problems for what is a god awful like line there in Indianapolis. Like we saw what happens when we get pressure on on Brisket uh, every single time he just he, he wilts under the pressure. Uh, also, as we were saying, these guys have to eventually win a game. I think this is the type of game that San Francisco have circled as this is one of the few we might be able to get, and they'll be up for it. Uh, something fierce. So I, I think it could be a little bit higher scoring than you think, but uh, we'll see. Uh, next up is Harry's pick of the week: New York Jets at the Cleveland Browns. Harry, why? Do you hate yourself. Yeah, it's conscientious objection to the pick of the week concept. Mm. All picks are equally beautiful. Look, this is just going to be a fun game. Let's be honest here. Like, this is a Cleveland team that, like, we're handing the reins of the franchise over to this young quarterback, except for, like, eight to ten snaps a game where we're going to bring in our backup for no discernible reason because whatever. Why not? We're the Cleveland Browns. And the Jets team where um, who, who are masters of deception in disguise. Bilal Powell falls over for no discernible reason with nobody around him. <laughs> and then gets up and runs 75 yards for a touchdown. And everyone's like, what the fuck, man? Now, I'm, I'm, am I right if I just remember correctly? Is this the second place in the AFC East New York Jets? This is this is the second place in the AFC oh, East New right. York Jets. Oh, right. Who are they ranked ahead of again? The Dolphins. Oh, right. Oh, so there's only three teams in that division, yeah. is there? Yeah. Oh, okay, fair enough, fair enough. Good to know. Um... Uh, the Patriots are now in the AFC Central, the only team in the AFC Central. Um, yeah, like, like look, look, the Jets are going to beat the Browns because the Browns are a shit show. Like, Duke Johnson is actually their best player. Oh, I actually, are we getting the, the debut Duke? of the rookie in this? Uh, of who? Miles Garrett, isn't it? Uh, maybe, yeah. maybe. There's a chance of, um, we might get to see him for the first time. Poor Miles Garrett, he, he has suffered the, the terrible fate. Um, but yeah, like Duke Johnson is Cleveland's best player right now, and he's Duke Johnson. So this is weird. Duke Johnson hype. Um, yeah, apparently. Uh, I just haven't had him in a fantasy league, so I'm playing it. Excellent. Um, don't remember picking him up. But, you know, these things happen. But how Cleveland felt about it. Like, oh, you've got this guy, throw him the ball, see what happens. Like, but seriously, though, this is this is just going to be entertaining because I think, like, the Jets' defense, I think we're going to have a bit of a. F- they're going to have fun. The Cleveland Browns' offensive line, Jets' D line, it's a good clash. Um, you know, it's nice to see Deshaun Kaiser continuing there and Josh McCowan somehow continuing to keep his job. I don't yep. know what's happening there, but it, it just seems to be what's going on. But I just think this is a game where another team is particularly going to give a fuck. Yeah. And I think we've seen that lead to some some fun games. I think we've seen where the, the Jets came. Like, the game against the Jags, for example, the Jets. The Jags came in trying way too hard to win, outfought themselves, played like crap and got beaten. That wasn't a fun game. But we've also seen, like, where... With Cle- with the, the when uh, Cleveland played uh, Baltimore, that was actually turned out and Indianapolis. Those turned out to be quite fun games, yeah. Because neither team gave a fuck and knew they were bad. And I think this is going to be the kind of game that's going to be entertaining. They're going to try some different shit. There's going to be a lot of sloppiness. There's going to be a lot mm. of messes, and it's just going to be far more entertaining uh, as just a visual spectacle that a lot of the very good in inverted commas games are going to be this week. No, of course. Uh, next up, we have Jacksonville at Pittsburgh. We've taken Pittsburgh across the board here. Uh, Pittsburgh's offense is looking a little bit better. Uh, Jacksonville. Defense are looking fine, but their offense are looking woeful. Like, this is at home for Pittsburgh. They're generally stronger at home. It should be a slam dunk for them. Next up, we have the Chargers at the Giants. Oh, God. This is a sadness bowl. Uh, two 0-4 teams. So, uh, a lot at stake here. A lot of, In the hunt for the first overall pick, that's a lot at stake. Uh, I've gone for the Giants, and both of you guys have gone for the Chargers. Fitz, why the Chargers? Yeah, like I think if you look at the talent level, even with all the injuries, the Chargers are probably, they have had more good points. They've been close in games with teams who are actually good, while the Giants have looked at times inept to mediocre. So I think like, you know, the Chargers should win. That probably means they'll still lose, but they should win Mm. on paper. Do it, Chargers. Go. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Go, Charge, go. Like, Giants looking bad, Chargers looking bad. Uh, 
Giants at home, their front seven match as well against that run game that LA haven't managed to get going. Uh, I just like one of them has to win a game here, and mm, could be a tie. Could be a tie, yeah. That'll be that'll be an interesting <laughs> one. But no, I just yeah, I don't know. I just have a sort of weird feeling that they're gonna finally get off, and then we're gonna get a load of shite about like how this is where we turn it around. This is where we turn our season around, and then the Giants lose the next three games afterwards, <laughs> and they're like. But you remember when we won that one game? That was pretty sweet. Um, the the main thing for this is Giants are at home in LA. Chargers are travelling across the entire country, so they'll be tired. It doesn't make any difference. They play, they're playing 16 away games this season. They are, yeah. But uh, for, for half their away games, they don't have to travel. <laughs> uh, next up, Buffalo at Cincy. We've gone for Buffalo. Uh, Harry? Yeah, uh, this is, I think, more a vote of confidence. Sorry, a vote of lack of confidence in Cincinnati. Uh, although I think we definitely saw some... Improvements um, less impressive this week because it was against Cleveland. Mm. There's still a lot of dysfunction going on, and the, that O line is still wretched. Yeah. Um, and look, this is Buffalo. What there's one thing Buffalo have been good at this season is just defense, grinding teams out, grinding teams down. And it's very hard to see them not doing it to a Cincinnati offense that seems to be like finding a bit more of a positive identity but still seems to be a bit of a way away from getting it all clicking again yeah but like I, we've seen big strides since Bill Lazer's taken over as OC there but they're not there yet and it has been against weaker teams uh, this Buffalo team surprised us several times now so we'll probably just let them surprise us in the other direction uh, next up is my pick of the week Carolina at Detroit uh, I've gone for Carolina two lads have gone for Detroit uh, basically I just think this would be a fun game like I said I don't really trust or get this Detroit team I also am convinced on the Carolina thing I think they looked good last week I want to see if that continues uh, I want to see because it, it's really weird that like they've looked better now that they've lost Greg Olsen uh, like, that seems like a really confusing thing to me So I think you're underestimating how bad the Patriots defense is like, yeah, they would have won like 20 with Greg Olsen yeah but like I think it'll be good I think this will be a very good test for this Carolina offense to see how they're looking. This will be a very good one for the Detroit team because the Carolina defense has looked pretty decent as well. I think just overall it should be a well-matched game. It could be very boring, but I have a feeling that this is going to be one where they're both kind of doing big plays in the fourth quarter and trying to win like maybe a 28 to 27 kind of matchup at that point. So I think it's just going to be fun. Uh, Tennessee at Miami. Uh, I've gone for Tennessee. Fitz has gone for Miami and Harry's gone for Tennessee. So why Tennessee, Harry? Yeah, like... Obviously, the big question mark here is Mariota, right? But, like, this... Like, I'm sorry, this Miami team... Like, I'm sorry, this Miami team... I am not picking this Miami team to win until they've won, like, four games in a row and comprehensively proved me wrong. Two weeks we have seen... This, like, two weeks of the absolute worst football is what we, we've seen out of this team. Like, they are rancid. And the problem is, is Jay Cutler is was ready to retire and still looks like he should be retired. They cannot get any space for their run game because nobody respects the pass. Cutler is thought they're making terrible decisions. I'm sorry, did you not see his incredible amount of effort he showed on that Wildcat snap? Yeah, I, that was I, also, I also thought it was really funny when he threw that interception uh, at the start of uh, that very promising opening drive and the commentators were trying to justify it. I mean, like, oh, Julius Thomas should have boxed that. No, it was just perfectly floated into the hands of the cornerback. Like, it was, it was to the cornerback. Yeah. Like, until... Look, I, I just... I, maybe they start Matt Moore. Maybe they win if they start Matt Moore. Matt Castle is rubbish, fine. But Tennessee, despite... That issue still have a lot of talent in other areas. Their weaknesses on defense are against the pass. Doesn't matter because Jay Cutler is just not 
care. Like he's got to turn up for a paycheck. It looks like he just doesn't mm-hmm. seem invested. He doesn't seem like he's still got anything really left in the tank. And it's just really hard to pick this Miami team under any circumstances, even against the team wheeling out its backup. Because let's you forget, like this is essentially a Miami team wheeling out a backup. Yeah. What about yourself? It's uh, why Miami. Yeah, so like I think the thing with Miami is that like we haven't really seen them at home yet. Uh, technically, London was a home game, but uh, they haven't really been at, in their home stadium. They haven't really had a chance with all of the uh, incidents occurring around the first game, uh, and obviously having to go on the road three times, like twice after that. I think they they came back home this week, um, and I think you know Adam Gase will have a look. I think we saw last year that this is a team that can look really bad at times. But when they put it together, they do have, they can put together a decent uh, display. I think they'll come home, they'll get to the home crowd, I think they'll get Jay going. Maybe this is wishful thinking on my, on my part as a fantasy owner of Jay Ajayi. Uh, they'll, they'll rough out a tennis team. I think like, there's obviously the big uncertainty about Mariota. I think he's day to day. If Mariota's not here, I, I'm much more confident in this. But even if Mariota plays, I think Miami has a good defense. They can get pressure on Mariota. We saw what effect that had uh, away from home in Houston. I think Miami has a chance to do that. I, like I, I don't. This is more of a gut call for me, but I think Miami at home they can show the kind of things we saw last season, and that Jay Cutler, uh, if they minimise his issues, I don't think he's any worse than Ryan Tannehill. Still, to be honest. No, of course. Uh, next up, Arizona, Philadelphia. We've taken Philadelphia across the board. Uh, as we said, Arizona dog shit. Don't want to talk about them. Philadelphia looking real good. Really like their front seven. Really like what they're doing on offense. This is going to be a blowout. Next up, Baltimore at Oakland. We've taken Oakland across the board. Look, top to bottom. I know this is a stereotype. This is a typical cliche, lazy argument, but. It is it's true like I don't think there's a single area in which Oakland are massively deficient like the Ravens should be better on uh, defense but they haven't played well over the last few weeks right now I just think Oakland's offense is way way too good to lose Baltimore's offense is non-existent and their defense has stumbled quite badly so it's very hard to pick against Oakland particularly at home I disagree with you almost entirely but I'm still going for Oakland I think people are massively overrating their offense at the moment and I don't think their defense is particularly good I think they are going to start to crumble in about two games' time. Spoken like a true but, Chiefs fan. But this is a Baltimore team who I have no faith in their offense and they're traveling across the country to see them. So I just don't see it working. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm, the more I look at the, 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 the stuff from Oakland's games, the less convinced I am by this team. But like that is probably just my bias. Uh, Seattle at LA Rams. This is Ronan's game of the week. Both myself and Fitz have taken Seattle and Harry's taken the Rams. So Ronan, tell us about your game of the week yeah so like I guess Harry previewed during the the game reviews we have an LA Rams team they're three and one they've been involved in some pretty exciting games and it's kind of been a very different team than you can expect both in contrast to the Jeff Fisher version that we saw but also what we were kind of expecting you know you bring in a young head coach he brings an experienced uh, defensive coordinator like Wade Phillips who's done you know miracles in the past and yet this team has been involved in a series of shootouts this is not what we were expecting they got Todd Gurley going, uh, and Jared Goff, I think, like, yes, he has major issues still. There's still kind of a sense that, you know, if the game is on the line, do you trust Jared Goff? Maybe not. You probably hand off to Todd Gurley, but he's certainly shown progress when you put weapons around him, when you give him an def- offensive line that gives him a bit of time uh, with Andrew Whitworth, seemingly like a decent free agent pickup for the next, uh, for this season at least. And then you obviously go on. So they're kind of a wild card. We don't really know what they are. What's changed is that they're now an exciting wildcard, which is good. Uh, on the Seattle side, obviously the Seattle start of the season has been uh, questionable, to say the least, um, but that they've managed to grind out a few wins. And like on the 
offensive identity, which is probably where most of the question marks are. They, I think the offense is starting to get a little bit of that, uh, albeit always in the second half for some reason. <laughs> I think in this game, they will see a bit more of the up-tempo. Uh, we'll see a bit more of them trying to get keep moving Russell Wilson out. We've seen a lot more play, like a lot more read option from Russell Wilson than we saw last season. So they're kind of going, like it's going backwards a bit. But I think Russell Wilson is someone we know that if he can catch that groove, he can get things done. And this LA Rams defense does currently, even despite all that talent, look like look a bit vulnerable. I'm not sure why, to be honest, but it does. I think the big question for Seattle then uh, is if that defense continues to hold up. The one area where they have been weaker than they usually have been is in that run defense. They've given up a lot of big chunk plays, which is pretty much the opposite of what we expect from Seattle. If Todd Gurley is allowed to run rampant as he has done in the season, then that would give LA Rams the edge. But as a Seahawks homer, I'm going to say Seattle tighten up in a big game and they uh, get the reverse Jeff Fisher situation here and finally manage to start beating up uh, on the new head coach. I think you know they use up all their luck with Jeff Fisher now they have a good head coach and hope now it's time for Seattle to start beating them as a, a form of karmic, well, uh, sort of form of uh, karma, basically. Uh, even though Seattle have obviously won Super Bowls and stuff, so they don't really deserve karma. But whatever, <laughs> they still will get it because mm. reasons. <laughs> no, of course. Uh, Green Bay at Dallas, you're taking Green Bay across the board. Why is that, Harry? Yeah, um, there's a Dallas team that seems to be going through some transitions with the decline of Des Bryant and the decline of the O-line. And this is a Green Bay team that is still led by Aaron Rodgers, is still having its problems, but right now is capable of elevating when it matters, and we've seen that a couple of times. Mm. Um, so right now you just feel like when you've got Green Bay playing another decent team, and I mean decent rather than like very good, yeah. Rodgers is going to be that difference maker that makes it very hard to pick against Green Bay. No, of course. Uh, next up, KC at Houston. We've gone KC across the board. I think this will be a good game. Houston's got a very good defense. KC's got a pretty good defense. I think what's going to be important for this, and we don't have any information yet, but it'd be there's been some injuries to the Kansas City line, and if that Kansas City line isn't functioning at a high, because I think we're currently like allowing the seventh most sacks or something at the moment. Like if if we allow their front seven to go to town on us, we're in a bit of trouble here. But KC currently look like a strong enough team to win this match. Houston, while looking good in certain matches, don't look consistently excellent. Whereas I think this KC team should be able to grind it out. Uh, all going to plan. We'll be uh, having a 5-0 Chiefs party. Uh, Minnesota at Chicago. I've gone for Chicago and you two have gone for Minnesota. Uh, go on there, Harry. Why have we gone for Minnesota? Yeah, this is actually a really, really tough one to call because uh, there's just so many fucking question marks, isn't yep. there? And at the end of the day, I was like, look, young quarterback might get things fired up. Don't really like this Minnesota team, but I've no idea how good Mitch Trubisky is going to be. Yeah, I've no idea if he's going to provide the spark that we think he is, and particularly game one against a tough defense, it's a lot to ask. It might be that Trubisky takes a game or two to settle in. So I think on that basis, on the basis of the unknown, on the basis of the fact the variables in game one are not ideal, mm-hmm. I think it pushes it towards the Vikings team that we know has good wide receivers. That we yes, we don't know what the run game is going to be like. We don't even know who the quarterback is going to be, but we know it's going to be a known quantity either way and yeah. a known quantity at running back. And I think in this case, given the relative strength of the defense coming down on Minnesota's side, I have less questions about their uh, known but unsure quantities than I do about the complete unknown quantity in Chicago. Okay, so we're, we're discussing known unknowns and unknown known unknowns. unknowns. Yeah, that's what I was going to Thank uh, you. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I understand it. Like, what I'm thinking is with the Chicago team, I've liked a lot of what I've seen out of the defense from the Chicago team. Uh, I think that 
as we discussed earlier, this new quarterback coming might free some stuff up. I think they're going to lean heavily on their run game, which I think they can do in this scenario. And uh, this is a Minnesota team that, like we said, there's so much up in the air on, on their offense. I don't know what we're going to see. It's Monday Night Football, so they have a little bit longer to prepare. This is a scenario where they won't have any tape on this quarterback to be able to go to. Like, it's one of those ones I'm with you entirely. This is a wild card. This is a gut throw rather than anything else. But, like, Chicago at home, extra time to prepare. They have a functional run game. Minnesota coming in, no tape, no running back, no definite quarterback. I'm going to side with the slightly... Bizarrely, the rookie starting in, in Monday Night Lights is the more stable option, which is a bit strange. But uh, but no, it should be should be an enjoyable game now. Probably quite defensive and quite run heavy, uh, depending on who's running for Minnesota. But uh, yeah, that's great. So that'll wrap us up for those. Uh, any plans for the weekend yourselves, lads? Hey, no, I think I've got some Green Party shit on on the Saturday and then uh, NFL on the Sunday. Party times. So it's all very exciting as usual. Mm. Um, Keep uh, messages coming to us on the Facebook, the Twitter, the... Yeah, I think I've logged into the Twitter in about twelve months. No, we, uh, should, we should get back on that. Like, uh, who cares? No it's Twitter. Twitter. Only angry people who want to talk about abortion, whatever. Mm. Well, why don't we tap into that? <laughs> big market, big market. Oh god! You thought you had problems with Colin Kaepernick, then you're going to love our next podcast. <laughs> oh my! Uh, oh, and also, obviously, the 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 thoughts of all of us go out to the families and friends of the people up in the, uh, the the shooting up in Las Vegas as well at the moment uh, so I think we're still getting details emerging about that but that's something like a horrible scenario so I hope everything's uh, a little bit better down there for everyone over in the States uh, also sorry I also have to send out a, a hello and a, and, a, and a fuck you all it seems like you're having lots of fun to all the members of Arrowheads Abroad who are currently over in Kansas City about to attend the uh, the, the Mizungu game tonight on one of they got t- toured around the, the stadium got to meet some ex-players and everything it's uh it sounded like it was great fun altogether yeah. but uh, no no so it's, it's, it's good stuff uh, so I suppose that'll do for now it's bye from myself bye from Harry bye, bye from Ronan bye this has been All Four Quarters thanks very much for listening and we'll chat to you next week